So I've been on like a campaign to convince people that poetry doesn't have to be annoying. Welcome to We Can Print This, a podcast telling the story you don't know. Ooh, behind the story you do know. Oh. Wow. Thanks. That was not a compliment. <laughs> okay, doing that again. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding, I loved it. I'm Fiona McCann. I'm Eden Don. And every week we interview a writer of some kind or other about the stories behind their stories or poems or articles or whatever it is they write. And this week we welcome the one, the only Derek Brown. And I mean that quite literally as Derek is the only person I know that is a former paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne, a comedian, a novelist, a former magician, and a traveling poet. He founded Right Bloody Publishing in 2004, which is totally the rock star of the indie poetry presses. And you can see him out on tour basically... All of the time, uh, because that's part of what he does, and you will laugh and be delighted. Go check him out. Go check him out. And today, we are talking to Derek about, you know, that moment in your life where something happens. It's what you think is going to be your big break or a big moment, a game changer that turns out not to change the game you thought it was mm-hmm. going to do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You feeling me on this one? Uh-huh. Yeah, I kind of had that happen to me. I mean, I think I've had many of the former where you think something is going to really change your career and it doesn't. It's tiny little drops in the bucket. But the interesting thing for me is, you know, Fiona, you and I have done a lot of service writing, a lot. service journalism. And for people who don't know, service journalism is very much what it sounds like. It's journalism, but you are providing a service to the reader. You're telling them, here are places to shop. Here are places to go to eat. Here are hotel reviews. All of that is service journalism because it's helping people understand a the services that they are going to be paying for and then also helping aid them in living their lives yeah and so it's usually kind of curation like picking definitely tastemaker and then the writing part tends to be very short it's kind of a specific style of writing where it's it's actually really hard to do consistently because there's a huge amount of work that goes into even the shortest little service Tiny service pieces. But we have done a lot of it. And then I had a book come out called The Portland Book of Dates, which is essentially a guidebook I wrote with my husband, which is all service journalism, really. But it's the ways to have the most fun in Oregon and through different kinds of dates. So it was curating fun things, activities. So we had this book come out with our lovely publishers who are Sasquatch Penguin Random House. And this book came out and, you know, it was for the Pacific Northwest and we were printing not as many as you would for a full national release. And then it just kind of went bonkers. Which is not what you expect from, you know, you're like, oh, this is the little Portland service book that I'm going to put together. Yeah. And it's a type of writing I had done so many times. And then it came out in 2021 for the last two years when I have gone into Powell's, which is the 
mecca of independent bookstores in the country. And also we're in there a lot because it's like five blocks from our office. And we're in there all the time because it's five blocks from our office. And it's a place I've been going to since I was a kid. Like for my sixth birthday, we got to go to Powell's to get more Babysitter's Club books, you know? And <laughs> I love the way the Babysitter's Club is going to come into every podcast. Recurring thing. But, and it was on the nonfiction wall, their bestsellers list, nonfiction wall, next to like David Sedaris and Michelle Obama, like my little book with my name on the front sat for like two years and it hit the Pacific Northwest Bookseller Association again with all of these huge names in the world. Somehow my small book that was just encouraging people to like go make out in this dark club and then like go over here to have snacks after was the thing that people wanted and I never expected that. And that had always been like a career goal of mine to really be on that Powell's bestseller wall and then to walk in and just see it over and over. Every time I went in, I was like, it has to be gone by now. And there it freaking is. When I was at a show recently, a woman in the audience brought it up and was like, I'm here on a date and my date bought me the Portland Book of Dates <laughs> and our six month anniversary. And, and it was so lovely to actually hear that direct kind of response from somebody in the audience, not to be bigging you up as well. I know I'm sounding like your hype girl now, but I, I completely can see how that's something you thought would be just a bit of a you know, going to do a little bit of grunt work here in my service journalism and like nobody, you know, it's never the one that gets the standing ovation. And yet here it is. And yet here it is. And nice. now there's another book coming out in that series that I cannot say yet, but another city is coming soon. And could be your city. Could be your city. And maybe there will be more, but um, don't, don't sneeze at service journalism. If your goal is that you're writing something because you're trying to help people get laid, which is really what my goal was, turns out that that is doing the Lord's work and it's people an like honorable, it. Honorable, it's an honorable trade. Um, what about you? You know, I was thinking about this. I thought, oh, what were, what were the big moments that I thought would be life-changing over the course of my career? And sometimes they're very hard to pinpoint because, you know, if they didn't change your life in that way, then maybe you've sort of consigned them to the annals of history uh, a little bit. But there was one particular moment I recall because I was working in, I lived in Argentina for a few years and I was working in the Buenos Aires office of Reuters uh, with lar a group of largely Argentines, but then some Americans and mainly Americans on the sort of foreign desk and me, the Irish girl. Mm -hmm. And I was not very high up in Reuters, shall we say. I was, you know, I wrote TV scripts. I did that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like nothing, not not the hero journalism of Reuters at the time. So, and I was kind of the newest in, last in type situation. And that bureau was sort of the Latin American hub. So they covered everything that was going on in Latin America. And they would send, you know, their high profile reporters and cameramen and everybody out to like the big stories. And I would sit back in the office and you know, wait till footage came in and write scripts and stuff. And like everything, you know, suddenly there was big news. Fidel Castro had fallen gravely ill. And mm. it was really serious because it was, this is 2006. He was in his 80s okay. and it was, he suddenly disappeared from public view on death's door. Everyone was like, oh my God, Fidel Castro, who has ruled Cuba for a bajillion years, mm -hmm. is suddenly going to die. And that man has had such a big imprint on the global geopolitical landscape for right. so long. I mean, he was a basically Cuban dictator for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah, decades and decades. Decades and decades. And I got this phone call. They were like, Fiona, 
come into the office. And they, in I walk and they're like, we need you to go to Cuba. And I thought, what? Like, why are they sending me? I'm like the drone in Sector 7G over here. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, what? And they said, yeah, listen, we need to get somebody there straight away. And there are all sorts of problems with American visas. We need an, a fluent English speaker to write the piece. You're Irish. We can get you a visa so much easier. Can you go and to you Cuba? And you speak Spanish. And I speak Spanish. Can you go to Cuba? And I thought, I think I can. I think I can go cover the biggest news story Wild. ever in the history of the world on my own, go to Cuba. And I think they were going to send a cameraman with me or something like that. I cannot believe you've never told me this story. It was How so do I not know this? exciting. I was like, yep, I am ready to go. Say the word, pack my bags. And so it was all very complicated. And I was waiting and waiting. Just acting. I had like pictures of myself walking in the streets of Havana, chatting to people in my flip-flops, but also reporter. And also how this was going to be the big news break of my career. And I would right. be covering. I was like, I'm going to be on all the tellies everywhere across the world. They'll be like, Fiona McCann, coming to you from Havana, where Fidel Castro has just died. He's right here beside me. <laughs> I really was picturing it. Anyway... Fiona got the deathbed interview for reasons unknown, but she managed to do it. For reasons unclear, all of the press would have photos of his corpse and then me standing beside it. <laughs> Bunny ears on Fidel. I don't know. I just, I was pretty, I was so excited. It was such a big story. It really was such a big story and it was going to be such a big deal. And? Fidel got better. <laughs> He didn't die. <laughs> Did you go? No. <laughs> oh, no. I was like oh, so no, close. honey. They were like, back to your scripts, babe. <sighs> he's not, he's going to pull through. I'm sorry. I've never forgiven him for that. I think this is all a great segue into now Derek's interview where he tells us, quite a bit about times when he thought his career was going to go places it didn't and what it looks like now. Yeah, sometimes people just don't die on you. <laughs> Words to live by. Is there a way to reinforce the phrase former Christian magician? Former Christian magician. <laughs> Teen, <No>. teenage Christian <laughs> magician. Teen no, that's the best part of your bio, dude, honestly. <laughs> teenage oh, Christian magician. Is that... Did I feel you like make... that's maybe a show we should be watching. Well, what's a Christian magician? Do they turn water into wine? Is like, what's the vibe? Do you do you walk on water? Do you do you make people pregnant without touching them? What's the <laughs> what do you do? You make grief vanish. <gasps> wow! No, you can you can erase my sins. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, he's doing he's doing magician hands and magician eyebrows. Yeah. We make the truth appear. Wow! I have so many questions about the. Paratrooper part and all of and the Christian magician, obviously, but I'm really, I think, most excited about the right bloody publishing because since we've spoken, I feel like I've seen a bunch of people who are published there, and I'm like, you're doing the Lord's work there to bring it back to Christianity. <laughs> oh, maybe so, this is what we meant by former Christian magician. <laughs> what is this podcast? Uh, <laughs> all I want to say is praise be and hallelujah. <laughs> no, but a I conversion love podcast. <laughs> I do love that you are an independent poetry publishing house, which is just something we all need and we need more of. And I really appreciate that that's something you're putting out in the world. Good job, Derek. 
Good job, Derek. We like to start out the podcast by saying good job, Derek. <laughs> you get three good attaboys. And this, it's well, we call the shit sandwich because now the rest is coming out. <laughs> now we're going to break you down for a little bit. Uh, at AWP, people would come up to the right bloody booth and say, what is this press all about? I was like, can't wait to tell you. We look for gut punch poetry, and then all of our authors have to tour like a band, and it's mandating the contract they do 20 dates to build a fan base. And a lot of authors are like, I'm just a writer. I don't like people. And I'm like, ah, oh, but there is a niche kind of person that loves writing and then loves sharing their work with the public in a way that doesn't make them feel awkward when they're on stage. Did you we know? We have all of those people here. For what yeah, for. we do. Do you, did you have somebody that you looked to that had this style of career when you started doing it? Yeah. So it was 94, 95. And I was writing, when I got out of the army, I was writing little lines i didn't know it was poetry someone asked me uh, my friend eugenie who lives here uh, asked me to share it at a coffee shop and i was like why why would you share stuff in front of people like it'll be fun it'll be like a little talent show and it was nerve-wracking and it, it went okay but all my stuff was a little funny and then jeffrey mcdaniel is a writer from philly former hardcore drug addict that like cleaned up his own life, moved away from the drug culture. And I met him in LA and he had a line that said in some other world, gigantic seashells hold humans up to their ears, but oh. all they hear are the echoes of machines. And I went, Oh my God, you oh my did that God. thing That's where you, you, you lured me in with humor and then you jacked me up with some power. <laughs> I would like to learn this trick. Mm -hmm. And he's like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe we can meet up and uh, yeah, I don't know, we'll talk about it. So he would, didn't trust me at first. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I, that was his trick. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was so giving and cool and like looked at my work and said, you're hiding. You're, you're, you're trying to be clever, but you're not saying the hard thing in your work. What, what are you, what are you afraid of? And I was like, Oh, I don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> and he helped me go there and it was, it was life changing. Wow. What was his name again? Tell me his name. Jeffrey McDaniel, the author of Thin Ice Olympics, The Forgiveness Parade, and Holiday in the Islands of Grief. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. You thank did, you, Jeffrey. You did great work. It is so interesting because from the first time I've seen you perform, it made poetry very accessible in a way that I have never felt. Poetry has felt exclusive to me uh, growing up in a world that I didn't belong in. Um, even though I admired it, but also it was just the thing I didn't get. And then seeing you and Mindy Medafi and Anise Mojgani and all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, it can be really fun and powerful and punch you in the gut and kind of like a party in a way I did not know. Yeah, it was in the 90s and early 2000s, there was these two groups forming. One were like becoming spoken word artists. They were like actors, right? They were mm -hmm. like, it doesn't really matter what they're writing as much because the presentation's so powerful. They were like awesome monologues, but couldn't really grasp it as poetry. It was just like powerful spoken word performance, da-da-da. And then all of a sudden you meet someone like niece who has... This oh. poem, Shake the Dust, uh, which is like kind of performancey, but you could tell I would read this over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mindy does the same thing, Mindy Nedefi. And um, so I was like, I want to find those Anises and Mindys in the world, let all the spoken word people do their thing, but I want to find the people who like both of those things because 
when it's written well on the page, it feels eternal. And then it's a little bit of icing if they can share it well out loud. But sometimes when I hear spoken word stuff, I'm not like edified. I'm like, you're good and talented, but it's not going to stick with me because it feels easy. And um, I love the complexity when there's imagery and metaphor and simile hidden inside someone's work. And I'm like, that's not prose. That's not a monologue. That's clearly the power of poetry in there. And it, it put its hooks in me. I mean, it's also so much poetry, I think, it, you know, if it's really good, there is sort of a sonic quality to it, right? Where it's not just some poetry works beautifully on the page and all the best poetry does, but then to hear it spoken out loud, you you hear rhythms and the music of it that you don't necessarily get when you're, you know, reading it on the page. And to hear it, for me, to hear it delivered by the poet and themselves where I know where they paused where they don't pause why you start to see like why are these words together in a row oh because it, listen to that sort of music in them and listen to this the sonic landscape as well as the sort of visual that you might create from it or the emotional gut punch yeah the the sonic thing matters a lot and especially there's a strange thing where poets don't like don't often criticize each other you know that's like we're in a smaller group. We're not making a lot of money. Let's just uplift each other. And mm-hmm. I think it causes weaker poetry. The sonic presentation matters a lot, uh, especially for building an audience. If you say a line like, everything I ever wished for, locked in winter, frozen under the lake. Yeah, someone will be like, oh, it's sounding like poetry. I think that's how poetry is supposed to sound. And it makes me want to barf. I'm like, oh, that sort of bebop jazz thing that was like 50s beat. Sounds like it's trying. It sounds like it wishes it was that. All I can think about thing. is the beginning of So I Married an Axe Murderer. Right, right. It, <laughs> that's all I can. Harriet. It Harriet. sounds like a cartoon of what the thing can be. But when you say, when you talk like a person, you say everything I ever wanted frozen under the lake locked in winter i'm like oh fuck what is going on it's like the economy of language you know someone said like poetry is best words in the best order and i'm like whoever works hard on their work and crafts a line um, it hits me 10 times harder than a novel you know and it's like a condensed movie Mm. I'm so glad you said that first one was crap because I was like, oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. What if that's good, his thing? What oh. are dreams locked in amethyst <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm Why is time measured by crime? Wow, you're good at that. <laughs> you're good at that. So we are very happy to get you. We snagged you right in between when you were leaving book uh, publishing extravaganza, AWP in Seattle, on your way back to LA for your book launch. We got 36 hours in Portland, where last night you and I did a storytelling event together. We competed against each other. And guess who won? Eden Dawn. No, Derek won. I always say Eden Dawn. Thank you, but I was runner-up, and I was very proud to be runner-up because that was a group of of some kick-ass storytellers. I have to say Eden, Derek, I have to, I work. Oh, right. You see her all the time. Yeah. 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 But good for you, Derek. You beat Eden Dawn. That's a big deal. Not easy. Queen of this town. She's the queen of this town. No, thank you. Miranda, don't cut this. Leave all of that. (laughs) In fact, this needs to go on the website. Yeah. Maybe just pull a clip out. Um, But we got you for two seconds. And I'm so excited because I want to hear and talk about the new book coming out. Love ends in a tandem kayak. 
dun, dun, dun. For those who don't know what a tandem kayak is, can you re-explain? Because kayak? Fiona did not know what a tandem kayak Because I was like a tandem kayak. Kayaks, uh, like, um, uh, well, I like a, a canoe uh, for two, usually plastic, uh, usually with no sides if you rent them for the ocean so that the water can come in and go out easily. And you can either take one out by yourself and your partner can take one out by themselves or you can rent one where you're both in it like a tandem bicycle and then argue about how bad the other person is at paddling the whole time. Mm-hmm. He thinks you speak from experience, Derek. What? <laughs> uh, that's what a tandem canoe is, people. And stay away from them, apparently, if you want your relationship to last. I think well, that's If you're trying thing. to kill it, just get it. Get, get it. Tandem get kayak. It. Be like, babe, it's, uh, it's time we got a tandem canoe. As someone who has tandem kayaked, and stayed in love. I feel like I don't want to brag, but I'm just saying maybe the kayak helped <laughs> a, a situation test. along. It is the ultimate test of cerebral fitness. Uh, so. You should get a tandem <laughs> kayak. So tell us about the book. Give us the breakdown of it. Yeah. So before portland i was living in long beach california and i was rowing a lot of gondolas and i would come home uh, rowing gondolas as a job singing so to people in italian and all that stuff situation. yeah yeah i love the sea and i was writing like memories just what poetry books usually are then i went through this incredible ending to uh, an engagement when I moved here and lived here in Portland and I, it was kind of a downhearted time and everything I wrote was just sorrow. <laughs> it was very strange, powerful, but strange. Sorrow can make amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Harsh. But I, you know, I, no one wants, I don't like to wallow in it. And I want to say like, that's, that's a terrible way to live. And uh, it's a temporary thing and I, it's hard to remember it, but it is. And I tried something new where I, the following year started to say yes to a lot of stuff I normally wouldn't. And I went on these road trips alone and I just camped along rivers with no plan. And it was magical and it was reinvigorating. And then something happened like eight months later where like I came out of a cocoon and all this good stuff started to happen. So an editor helped me break the chapter into three chapters of memories that built who I was going to the bottom in like naked examination of sorrow. And then the third chapter is a chasing of joy and humor. So it's, um, it's a funny book, a grief, sad book, and then a, um, a nostalgic book too. It's your eat, pray, love. <laughs> it is. <laughs> if I could eat memories, pray into sorrow, and then love joy, I think that's it. <laughs> I mean, let's get you to Italy and a meeting with Julia Roberts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, That's what's coming next. Julia Roberts can play you in the movie. I could see her rowing a gondola in thigh-high boots. I do think what you said is important in... We don't like to wallow, but you have to feel your feelings. And after a big breakup, a significant life breakup, where you think your life is going to go one way with a person and then you do a direct pivot, there is a time 
that is important to grieve, not only for that relationship, but for the change in your life from your expectation of where you think you're going to go and everything going different. And you feel, you feel as if the bottom drops out from you a little bit, even if you're the person who does the breaking up, or if you're the person who gets broke, whatever the situation, regardless, it's just, you're like, oh shit, all these thoughts I had are not happening. But if you can push through that, then the opportunity, this special moment arises unlike any other time in your life where you're like, I'm alone. I have no path right now. And I feel like you can either choose to let it ruin you or you can do what you did, which is like, or fuck it. Let's just say yes to everything and go out there and start doing stuff. And figure it all out. And then you've had this wild year where every time I look on social media, Instagram is just like, Derek's doing something fun today. What are you doing, bitch? And I'm like, I'm doing stuff too. (laughs) You're doing a lot. You got a new book. Uh, I feel like, you know, you develop skills as you grow older, whether you become a better cook or a better communicator. Honest bounce back is a skill too, where, you know, bouncing back, you can fake your way through it and smile, but you're actually sad inside and fake it till you make it. But having, remembering that life is a blip and that there is, there are skills to learn about how to, remember how to be as a person after the rug's been pulled out, you know, it's, it's very hard and it's a necessary skill, you know, especially if you could convey this to teenage lovers, you know, being like, Hey, this will probably fall apart and uh, feel it. And then know that like there's daylight around the corner and you are in charge of how quickly you get to that daylight, but you can't rush it which is a great reminder and a great reminder that the rug can get pulled out of anything at any time. Mm -hmm. And those sort of sorrows and lessons are so valuable. You can see them as like, I got fucked over. Or you can be like, I am learning something and I can't see what it is yet. And only after some time will I spot it. Yeah. So true. If only someone had been there to tell the Montagues and Capulets. (laughs) gonna be okay guys hey guys i do remember i remember when i on my first terrible heartbreak you know the one that like you can't eat you can't sleep you i couldn't even drink it was like crazy intense yeah i couldn't like and my hair went straight i think i told you that before like i have curly hair my hair went straight it was like a terrible heartbreak but i remember a friend came over and she sat there and she told me this very long rambling story about this friend of hers who is beautiful and all the guys love her and she's just the kind of girl who everybody wants to be with and I was like this story's not helping thank you for this story why are we hearing about your lovely friend Jane and she said well because my brother at one stage was like the only guy who had never fallen in love with her and he had known her so well and I once asked him like how come you don't fall in love with Jane and he said well she's never had her heart broken as mm. if like having your heart broken is a quality to look for in somebody. And that really, I mean, at the time I was like, whatever, I hate Jane. I want to be Jane. I don't know. And then afterwards I was like, that's really fair. Like, I feel like having your heart broken is something that in the end makes you a fuller person. And For real. So. It does give you a level of empathy for people forever after that. When you see someone going through heartbreak and you've been through it, you're like, oh, yeah. I know. I know this moment you're in. I know you can't eat. You can't drink. You're not sure what you're doing. 
Um, and and I guess that makes us better humans. You know, you can't control everything. Sometimes something will happen that will just, I think before that, or you can get cocky sometimes in your relationships where you're like, it's kind of on me, whether this lives or dies or whatever. But then when it happens the, the other way around, it is a real reminder that like something can change in a dime. You don't have control over everything and it will maybe devastating, but it'll be okay. And so you were writing in real time. Everything is new in the book from when the breakup happened. No, some of those were before when I was in it and it was like a dangling, hanging on by a thread kind of relationship where, uh, but I was writing like a lot of memories trying to dig into myself at the time. And then when it fell apart during the Portland days, um, then the sorrow chapter began. And then during that road trip, I brought a journal with me on my motorcycle and I went to like an alien, an alien abduction festival in Terlingua, Texas, because someone's (laughs) like, do you want to check this out? I was like, oh, it's going to be way too cold in February to motorcycle out there. And I I don't know where I'm going to stay. And yes, I'll be there. (laughs) I'll be I'll be there in a couple weeks. I love that. And um, I was like, let's just see how it was windy. It was it was adventure time for sure. It was very hard to pull off that road trip. And I was like, well, I said, yes, I got to do it. Um, yeah, two things that popped in my mind. One is I hope the subtitle of this podcast is heartbreak will straighten your hair. (laughs) Yes, I think we can make it happen. I think we can make it happen. And the other thing is that I forgot to bring up something useful, which was my friend, Brianna Kalish, who's a, a clown. She's like a stilts person and a balance on bottles person. Um, came to me like a friend, you know, how you said empathy comes after you've seen someone. She was like, hey, there's something I need to tell you that as this year ends, you need to try something that I do at the end of the year, every year, which is I get out um, three pieces of paper and I go through my Instagram starting from January 1st, or I just go through my photos and I like type in January 1st till December 31st. And as I scroll through there, every photo, I write down anything that pops in my mind and I either plop the memory onto good feels, bad feels. <gasps> and she goes through the whole year and wow. loads up those pieces of paper with every memory that comes from flipping through that photo album. And then I was like, what's the third paper for? And she was like, goals. You just write down things after you see all that stuff, what you imagine the next year will be. Like, not like huge, I'm going to be a millionaire, like really attainable things. Brianna and might be then, the morning of New Year's, you burn all the bad feels, mm-hmm. and then you put up on a bulletin board all the good feels. And remember, like that next year when you make the list, see if the good feels list can be longer than the bad feels. And I was like, Oh my god, damn it! All I right. love that. So I've been doing that for two years. That's amazing. Brianna's a genius. Brianna is TM a genius. Brianna, by the way, if anyone else thinks this is somehow marketable, she's the one. Yep. Go back to her, but. One of the things I was interested in is you kind of approached a moment in your life. Everything went terrible for a second. And then you. Beyond just relationship, like everything was terrible. Oh, like. What year was this? 2021 October. What? And that was not a good year. It was still in pandemic fun. It was terrible. But you, because when I think of the timeline of that, that you went through a devastating break up in the middle of you know what was kind of the worst year in the world or it felt like it for us at least in our lifetime I know everyone's had worse years but like that was a terrible time plus you had a breakup 
I've, I just feel for you. <laughs> and also October in Portland. I love my city. I'm very proud of my city. At the beginning of the and winter. And the beginning of October is beautiful here. But like once Halloween hits, along with it comes the realization that the the grayness has begun. I left on Halloween night. Yeah. That was, I do not blame you because... That was good for your mental that's health. That's true. That time of year is desperate. Because right now we're in that bit where we're like, just give us a little bit of sun. Just like a moment. Just to, just even just like a, a slight brightness would be fine. Just two seconds of it. And every if it hits 58 degrees this week, every Portlander will be outside in a tank top and Naked. short shorts laying yeah. in the sun. That's what we need. Are you guys on the D-pills? Vitamin no, D pills? do I need to get on Oh, deep pills? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you said deep hills, which I was like, yeah, I know that lingo. I mean, sometimes pills? I yeah. take my kids' gummies. Does that count? <laughs> sure. Sure. I don't um, sure. But so that was a moment where everything was terrible. And then somehow out of it, you've made a book. You're in the middle of a record, right? Yeah. I, uh, I've been, I, in 2009, a neat thing happened where David Cross saw me do a poetry show in Brooklyn at the time he was dating Amber Tamlin, my friend. And Amber's like, brought him to a poetry show and he said, I don't know if I can be with this woman. I, I think I hate poetry. <laughs> this is the most boring, annoying, self-serving show I've ever seen in my life. And then she was like, well, let me take you to one more. Let me take you to one more. She brought him to my show and I, you know, do some humor and some heavy. And uh, he was like, that was great. Uh, you should do the All Tomorrow's Parties Festival with me. I think it's going to be uh, Animal Collective, Flaming Lips. Reggie MBD, Watts, a bunch you know. of, and I was like, what, what do you want me to do? And he was like, yeah, just, you know, do the comedy stage with me. And I was like, oh shoot, I don't really do much. I've done stand-up comedy like twice. And he's like, yeah, it'll be great. And so I shaped my set to be half funny, half pretty. And it went great. And I was like, this just to be clear, you can be funny and pretty. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank in you for looking me directly in the <laughs> eye when you said it. <laughs> I just wanted to clear the record. Go on then. <laughs> Julia Roberts. Go on, Derek. Um, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but that was an important Derek, public you're funny announcement. And pretty. <laughs> um, so that changed my life, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do some comedy shows and maybe sneak in a little piece of a poem, and then I'm going to do poetry shows and maybe do a couple setups that sound like stories of, from the comedy set. And I've been blending it for years, and then went on tour with Eugene Merman. He was like, this will be great to open up for me doing the thing you're doing. And we did a show in Boston last year and it went great. And then they hit me up, uh, Pretty Good Friends Records, said we got to deal with Sub Pop to be the comedy arm of Sub Pop. We want you to do a comedy record. Uh, and I was like, hell yeah, let's try it. Uh, okay. So I book comedy shows now and sneak in a little poetry. And it's been hard, to be honest, because anytime here, someone hears like, oh, he's a poet? Is he going to come to our comedy show and do a bunch of annoying ass poetry? I'm like, please, please let me give it a shot. It will not be annoying. So I've been on like a campaign to convince people that poetry doesn't have to be annoying. And Eugene Merman was the one who said, just keep telling people that you're a poet who does comedy and it'll be interesting someday to bring you into a comedy festival as a unique sort of thing, but it'll be a war for a long time. So I feel like this record will help in that campaign it's a good thing you're a former soldier <laughs> yes, yes you're, you have like i will hang in there sir 
<laughs> you got this. And, and now I'm picturing you saluting Eugene Merman. <laughs> I, I, I've been beat up by battle, sir. <laughs> Nobody well, wanted me for years. I love that, that Sub Pop has that comedy arm. I remember seeing Flight of the Concords for Sub Pop's oh, like so a funny. 20th anniversary, 10th anniversary. I can't remember. Anyways, I was just so entertained that this record label that if you grew up in the Pacific Northwest just means so much, right? Like Sub Pop growing up here was the just like the beacon of cool for a record label. And then they started adding comedy to it. And I was like, what can't these guys do? I mean, they really are. You're now the beacon of cool, Derek, because you're signed to Sub Pop. <laughs> Shit, I mean, you're funny, you're like, pretty, and you're cool. And Get out of our yeah, room. It's true. So that was, a, that was a story in a way about a moment in your life where everything was like really kind of looked like it was on a downward trajectory. And yet somehow that life-changing moment ended up being on an upswing was there ever a time in your life when the opposite happened oh yeah there's there's been many times in my life where i have thought that because this good thing was happening everything then after that was going to be good and i was going to blow up maybe the goal is to get on tv maybe the goal is to open up for a big band and then get tens of thousands of fans or whatever so i get this gig opening up for cold war kids when their al first album was blowing up, the venues were like 500, 1,000 seaters. It was so intimidating and fun. And then after we did that tour, they're like, hey, we're going to be on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Would you open up for us as we start a song? I was like, oh, my God, yes. This is, this is it. And you're doing poetry and comedy opening for the shows. Yeah, yeah. So kind I, I kind of had to learn how to... Um, be an asshole when I went on stage. <laughs> a relatable a asshole to try and get everyone on my side and quiet down a little bit. And I was like, all right, shut up, assholes. I've got some solid gold for you. This isn't this isn't a fucking bright eyes concert. <laughs> uh, uh, and then some people laugh so some people get focused and come in closer. And the people are like, I don't give a shit. And then they'd go to the back and that was good for me. But, um, and then bright eyes is in the audience. Like, <laughs> what, what are you like, got against me? I was like, actually, this would be a perfect combination, sir. <laughs> if I would open up for your tenderoni audience, please. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the tonight show happens. I get there and they're like, Hey, slight change of plans. Um, we are just going to have you <laughs> type your poems on a typewriter and we'll project it behind the band. And I'm like, great, great. And they're like, about an hour hour later, they're like, hey, slight change of plans. The <laughs> censors are worried that you might accidentally type a dirty word or something. And if it the whole, if you take up the whole screen, we can't have nothing to, we don't have anything to cut to. Um, um. So slight change of plans. We're just going to put um, an easel with some paper behind the piano and have you back there writing the poem with a marker. So I'm on TV pretty much my back to yeah. the cameras <laughs> yeah. for it's my first moment, time. Derek. Of course, it went in my bio, like, you may have seen him on The Tonight Show. <laughs> and everyone's like, I've looked you up on YouTube. I don't see this clip anywhere. I was like, uh, they might have taken it down. You're like, yeah. you see that ass? You recognize that ass? That's yeah, my yeah. ass. Look, that's my hand moving quickly. You can't really read what I'm writing because I cut away too fast. And then I was taking the papers and I was clumping them up, throwing them at the band like a weirdo, like kind of bummed. And uh, afterwards, we come off the stage and Jessica Alba was one of the guests. She pulls me and the bassist and I aside and she goes, I have to tell you, I've done some really tough 
movies this year and it's been a really rough year for me and but your album really has pulled me i'd listen to my trailer all the time it's really lifted me up when i needed the most i was Aww. like oh my god you're welcome you're I so welcome thank you <laughs> thank you for saying that it's it's my honor that you listen to us <laughs> can i take a we worked hard on that <laughs> prom picture with you we, there i still have this picture of us posing uh together backstage <laughs> never telling her that i was not in the band i was just a guy with my back to the camera <laughs> oh. remember the crumpled piece of paper guy that was me. but i did think that everything was going to change i was like i'm probably gonna be on a bunch of late night shows after that i'm just gonna apply and say you might have seen me on the no nothing nothing blew up but after that. you might be hung on the wall in jessica alba's house <laughs> And that's what you need to know. With a little sign underneath that was like, Cold War Kids and me. I'm going to hit her up and say, did you feel a thing? I know you're a mom and you're married and all that, but I felt a thing. I felt a thing. <laughs> you felt that, right? But what was a great lesson was that that's happened when I've opened up for Rival Sons or Afghan Wigs, which I ended up opening up for. That was really cool. Um, that I thought everything was going to change and it was a lovely lesson that like, I just need to enjoy what I get and be like uh, super grateful. And not waiting for it to kind of, yeah, to turn into something. Because there is that, because when you set up the expectations so high, and then you're like, bada bing, I'm going to be the one first ever famous poet. <laughs> and this is the thing, this will be the key that unlocks it all. Um, yeah. Maybe not, maybe not. Maybe you should just enjoy what you love deep down in your gut, which is writing. But I like that you open for, ba I just feel like it's such an unusual, although Cold War Kids especially makes sense because that band feels very like almost spoken wordy, especially that first record. Oh, yeah. But in general, I like don't picture you just because, I don't know, rock fans are unpredictable. Yeah. For example, opening up for Rival Sons, I remember I told them, I was like, you guys are kind of like, you guys just opened up for Black Sabbath. Do you think my fans will be your fans? Will, <laughs> do you think your fans will like my work? Do that we it, have an overlap here? And they're like, I don't know, but we like it and we want you to do it and we'll pay you this much. And I was like, I'll try. They're like, great. You have to come on the road for us for a month. So I agree. And like the first five shows go great. And we're in Europe and then in Frankfurt I'm like, hello, I'm going to share a couple poems with you tonight for my new book, How the Body Works in the Dark. This pint glass comes <laughs> at my head, and I ninja out of the way as the pint glass hits the drum riser behind me. And then the lead singer would oh watch my, my set God. sometimes. He's a wonderful dude that I love named Jay Buchanan. And he comes out, and he's like, hey, everyone, chill the fuck out. And everyone claps for him and stuff. And then he sits on the drum riser so no more pint glasses oh, fly at my face I while I finished. I, I was like, I should go. And he's like, keep doing your set. I was like, they don't like it. <laughs> they want rock and roll. This is not rock and roll. He's like, do it. Keep going. Keep going. I was like, this next poem is about my dad. <laughs> and I, I just, it was very hard. But he's like, power through, power through. And I just stayed up there and kept going. And I was like, trying to look, glance at the book and look out there, see what was coming at me. And it was hard and it was, uh, it was a great lesson to like, just try and see if you can make it through. Well, yeah. Derek, so we have an album coming out, a book out in the world. When can we get our hands on either or? March 24th, the book comes out. You can buy the book anywhere. Love ends in tandem kayak. Uh, I wrote on a film that's supposed to come out. I think this winter it's called the gorge. 
with Miles Teller, Anya Taylor Joy, and Scorny Weaver. And then the And who was that third one? Sorry. Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Weaver. Oh, yeah. That rings a bell. <laughs> and then uh, the <laughs> record records May 9th and 10th. I'm not sure when it comes out. Wow. Okay, yeah. you've been kind of busy. It turns out breakups are good for you, Derek. I want more. More breakups, please. <laughs> we you heard it all here. Dump you right now. Thank yeah. you. We're breaking up with you. We're to, breaking up with you right now. we are so grateful to you for joining us. I'm leaving. Thank you so much, Derek. This does feel like a breakup, what you're saying right now. Like, no. like it's Thank this you, podcast. It's, it's not you, it's us. I feel um, like Fiona needs to declare that she was being sarcastic and does know who Sigourney <laughs> Weaver is. I don't think it came across that she was very excited see. for you. She mentioned see. like she thought she was some kind of alien or something. Uh, yeah, I could see. I was like, did y'all just get that? Sigourney Weaver, like massive big deal. And Eden was looking at me like... Babe, you don't know who's going <laughs> You can never tell with me, in fairness, but uh, I do actually know who she was. I just wanted to really underscore that point because it seems like a big deal. Anyway, thank you, Derek, for coming in and allowing us to break up with you. Uh, Derek's <laughs> website is brownpoetry.com. You can follow him on Instagram at Derek Brown Poetry and snap up one of his many books. And that's it from We Can Print This for today. See more information about episodes at wecanprintthis.com. Follow us on all the socials at We Can Print This. And stay away from boats is what I would say. <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to our friend, Dave Depper, for our music. This podcast was recorded at the Writer's Block in downtown Portland. And a big thank you to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie, for making us old fashions and copy editing all of our stuff for free. Yes, and if you're a writer with a great behind-the-story story, please write to us at wecanprintthis at gmail.com. And just so you know, we are not sponsored or backed by anybody as of yet, so you can always send us your love with dollar signs at patreon.com forward slash wecanprintthis. Oh, good. Jo- look at you selling us. Good job, girl. Sell, sell, sell. And thank you to the six people out there who got my Sigourney Weaver aliens reference. Aww, that's nice. We have a lot of niche jokes here. Not that aliens is a niche joke, but I'm just saying. Maybe we only have six people listening to anything. Let's cut this off and go finish our wines. Okay, we're done. I didn't get the Sigourney Weaver joke, though. Because (laughs) she starts an alien. It's what she's probably most famous for. Oh, but what did he say? It's okay. We'll tell you off mic. Okay. (laughs)